Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Welcome to this Thursday noon session of the Council of Public Affairs. Uh, my name is Terry Shillington, and I have the honor of uh, being your moderator this afternoon. I ask you to uh, turn off your cell phones uh, and put $11 in the basket in the center that uh, pays for your lunch and your presents. Um, I remind you, as we always do, that we, uh, we delight in uh, memberships, and you can uh, stop over and talk to Dan in the corner here, who's our assistant tech guy in Lisa's absence, and uh, he'll look after your own membership. We thank our partners in this whole enterprise, uh, the University of Lethbridge and uh, Country Kitchen Catering and, uh, of course, Shaw TV for their coverage and Lethbridge Herald for their support, too. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll have a 30-minute presentation, or we'll stop at 12.30 and um, break for lunch and then come back for questions at, at um, roughly 1 o'clock. And it's my privilege to welcome Belinda Croson to this uh, presentation. Uh, she's a member of the Lethbridge Historical uh, Society's Heritage Conservation Committee and uh, sits on the city's uh, uh, Heart of Our City Committee. She's written four books and uh, been an advocate uh, for the history of our city for a long time, and she's quite well qualified to give us a piece of her mind on the subject, uh, which is historical buildings and public support. Would you welcome Belinda Croson? Thank you so much, Terry. So today I want to talk about should public money support restoration of private historic buildings? The idea for this topic came to me after reading something in the Lethbridge Herald. Someone was loudly proclaiming that public money should not be given to private buildings. And since I read that, I have heard several people make that same claim. They have concerns about pu using public money in this way. Their argument, from what I've been able to see, is that people should be responsible for supporting their own private buildings. If you own it, take care of it. It's unfair to everyone else if you support one person and not others. Our system, of course, is based on fairness and equality. Private ownership is an in integral part of our culture. It's the bedrock of our legal system. A man's home or a woman's home is his or her castle. The rights of private ownership are paramount. Keep the public out of private buildings. So that's pretty much it. I guess I'm done. Oh. <laughs> End of story. Very short presentation. That's how many people believe, except it seems that it's not always the case when it comes to sports. Then people are okay when there's public money put into private enterprises. And so in those cases, we certainly seem to put public money into private businesses, private organizations. So what about public buildings? I don't know how to tell you this, but we already put public money into private historic buildings, and we've been doing it for a very long time. So we put this public money out there, and what sort of radical, strange groups would accept public money for a private building? Well, some very radical and strange groups who, well, let's just say, I think they understand business. Chamber of Commerce is one of them. <laughs> the Chamber of... <laughs> 
radical. I was just teasing them, don't worry. The Chamber of Commerce has accepted public money through the Main Street program for their building. Over the decades downtown, a significant number of our historic downtown buildings have fallen into disrepair. Fortunately, many of them still retain what we call the character-defining elements, the parts of the building that make them important to all of the community. All they needed in many cases was just some TLC to make them look what they once did. And that TLC came through the Main Street program. Main Street program, initiated in 1987 by the provincial government, has expanded into a very vigorous, cost-effective program that gives incredible return on investment. It has been one of the prime sources of downtown revitalization and has created a lot of historic preservation throughout Lethbridge and throughout the province. Last week, I was lucky enough to be off at well, two, con uh, two conferences simultaneously, and I was speaking to someone, and she actually said as she was going through downtowns around the province, she was actually incredibly and pleasantly surprised by how well-maintained our downtowns were in many places. And she, coming from another province, just thought it had randomly occurred that way. And then someone explained to her what Main Street was and how we had put money and time and effort into those buildings. And she finally understood that it didn't just happen, that you had to take care of those buildings. And in this case, a lot of care was done through the investments of the Alberta government, City of Lethbridge, and, of course, through the private sector. Since the beginning of Main Street in 2000, Property owners in the downtown have invested millions of dollars into those buildings. Significant investment has helped increase the tax base of downtown and has focused considerable positive attention on the downtown area. Empty buildings bring in little taxes. Empty buildings can lead to crime and other problems in the downtown. We have buildings that are used, buildings that are paying their own way, and Main Street is certainly part of this. Main Street, though, isn't the only example of public money in private buildings. The other way public money goes into private buildings is through designation. We have two levels of designation, municipal, which is, of course, done through the city of Lethbridge, and provincial, done through the Alberta government. For those that are municipally designated, buildings may apply up to $50,000 of matching money, Buildings that are provincially designated may apply for up to $100,000 of public money. Rarely does buildings get the maximum, and note it does have to be matching money, but if you meet the criteria, you can achieve or you can get public money. And this is not a one-time thing. You can have the public money at different times over the years of the building. So we routinely put public money into private buildings across the province and here in Lethbridge. So the question isn't, should public money support restoration of private historic buildings? The question really becomes, how much money and who gets the money? What, should it only be designated? Which sort of buildings should it get? Personally, and I know there will be people arguing with me later about this, I think we should be putting more public money into private historic buildings. So why? Why do public historic buildings, private historic buildings, why do they all matter so much? First, it's about community. Character of a community, reimagining, repurposing, restoring a community can come through our historic buildings. These buildings are visible works of art that showcase our identity. It is very sad sometimes when I enter a city and I can't even tell where I am. 
Every single building looks identical to every other building, every other town I've come in. These buildings, these historic buildings, belong to all of us. They tell the story of our entire community. In fact, they are the most tangible evidence of our shared history. They provide a sense of time, a sense of place, and a sense of identity. We are connected as communities and individuals to these buildings. Throughout our rich heritage neighborhoods, we see who we are and who we're becoming. Not only are these buildings about our past, but we are all caretakers of the past and the present for the future. What sort of Lethbridge do you want to leave for your children and grandchildren? Do you want a Lethbridge with a heart, with an identity, with a purpose? Or do you want a Lethbridge that looks like every other community and where nobody knows who Lethbridge was and what Lethbridge has become? The other thing, the connect of the community part of historic buildings, is they represent a time when we actually cared about what we built. We didn't just build something and throw it away. We kept something because it was important and because we knew how we were connected to it. So for a lot of people, the emotional angle may not be the best argument. So what about the environment? Environment is another reason we need to save these historic buildings. You don't have to spend time and energy to build these buildings. They're already there. You don't have to spend the time and energy to destroy these buildings. They're already there. Think of how much money, time, and effort has gone into knocking down one building. The atrium building, which I hate to mention. I'm sure many of you are sick of it, too. Then we don't have to spend the time, energy to rebuild it. The materials have already been used. We are not going out and finding new materials. We have something that exists, and we don't have to rebuild Furthermore, many, not all of course, but many historic buildings were designed to be good for light, and they work well for a lot of our present day needs. I was reading an article last week connected to older buildings, and I just had a chance to skim the article so I don't have the details, that older houses take longer to burn down than newer ones. They are also less toxic. So living in an older building, you have a better chance of getting out in a fire. I mean, these are important reasons for the environment and for ourselves. But, of course, a lot of people want to talk the brass tacks. There's gold in them, their historic buildings. Now, I don't mean literally. Don't knock them down looking for the gold. But there is gold in those buildings. Historic buildings are good for the economy. It was quickly proven through Main Street that putting money into buildings has a dramatic effect on the value of that building and on increasing the taxes assessed through the building. Taxes, of course, are then there for everyone to use depending on where the city puts the taxes. But heritage buildings also retain their value better than other buildings during economic slumps. And that helps everyone. Renovation of historic buildings over demolition creates more jobs than new construction, helping the overall economy, because when isn't it a bad thing to actually create jobs rather than lose them? People are purposely choosing to live in businesses, live in neighborhoods with historic buildings. In historic buildings, they recognize that it adds to the charm of their business, but it also makes them economically better. One of the ways historic buildings also help the economy is through heritage tourism. 
Tourists and visitors want to learn what makes a community special. They do not want to go to places that are identical and where every place tells the same story. Historic buildings, that identity that I've mentioned before, are a primary way of creating a market for historic heritage tourism. There is a lot of potential in downtown Lethbridge through those buildings and through some of the stories. And in fact, I'll be talking more later about Chinatown, there are incredible articles about how communities have used their various Chinatown districts, their heritage districts, their neighborhoods to create tourism for a larger benefit. So if these historic buildings are privately owned and they are important, what do we do? So why don't we just get the public, the government to buy them all? Right? Then we're not worrying about putting public money into private buildings. Let's just have the government buy all privately owned historic buildings. I am, of course, being facetious. Don't worry. While I do believe in strategic purchase by the city, by the government, this is certainly not an option. Think about if the government did own all the important historic buildings. Think about then the maintenance and the need to maintain and keep up those buildings. Think about having to find a use for all those buildings. Buildings need to be used. They need to be lived in. They need to be worked in. The province, city, no level of government has the resources, time, etc., to own and operate every important historic buildings. So now we go back to if the public can't own them all, we know they're important, what do we do? Well, as I mentioned earlier, and I'm sure a few people will have concerns with this, I'd like to see more public money going into private buildings. So why and in what way? One of the best options that I've seen, and an option that we don't currently have in Lethbridge, is tax incentives. Some communities are seeing a great return on investment with historic buildings through a variety of different tax incentive programs. In some cases, a government agrees to not collect a particular portion of taxes on a building during renovation, restoration, etc., knowing that they will then see increased taxes at the end of the process that they'll see returns on their investment. The land and the resale value will go up for this property as well as for other properties connected for it, connected to it on the same street and in the same neighborhood. Some places are presenting a 20% tax credit for historic buildings, a 10% tax credit on any building over a certain age, and no, not every old building is historic. Don't worry, I'm not thinking of saving every building. You have to have certain criteria. One of the better ones that we've seen in, in Canada, um, such as Saskatoon and some of the other ones coming out of Saskatchewan, are not only giving tax credits, but they are giving tax credits to create the downtown they want. Most of the tax incentives used in Saskatoon are downtown housing incentives. If you have people living in the downtown, you have people taking care of the downtown, people using the downtown, Good for buildings, good for businesses. As many people have probably heard, at 6 o'clock, Lethbridge's downtown rolls up. If we have people living there, we will have extended hours, and that will be better for the entire downtown. The other thing related to historic buildings is not every building can remain exactly as it always was. We recognize that we don't want the buildings to be stagnant, I'm a historian, I don't live in the past, I don't want the, you know, the Lethbridge of 100 years ago perfectly maintained the way it was. What we do put out, though, is a challenge 
to developers, to architects, to building owners, to think about how they can best use their building. We call on them all to be clever and creative and to imagine what a building can be. What assistance then can be offered to developers and building owners who have historic buildings to encourage them in what we call adaptive reuse? If your building was used for one thing, what can it become? Can it be housing? Can it be that a Tim Hortons is operating out of an old bank? Can it be that your building has a new use in a completely different way? Many of you today have probably come specifically to hear me talk about a couple of buildings in the news. So I bring up here a small section of the Chinatown, Nakagama's Maine Opera Society, and then the Boantong. The Maine and the Boantong are two buildings that recently received public money, uh, two buildings that are at the present empty. There is so much going on behind the scenes on these two buildings, I don't want to go into details here. So instead, because that's partly what I do, I want to tell you a bit of a story. I want you to imagine it's the 1880s and the 1890s. Chinese are the first non-European immigrant group to move into southern Alberta. They arrive working on the railroad, and they stay on doing market gardening, working in restaurants, laundries, a variety of other jobs. When the sugar beet factory opens, there are some working in the sugar beet fields. In the 1890s, many of the Chinese from southern Alberta wished to go to the U.S. 1890s, it's actually our economy's not doing well in Canada compared to the Americans. There is actually a massive emigration, people moving down to the States. But the borders of the states are not open to many Chinese. And we read in the newspaper in 1892, the governor of Montana concerned about the smuggling of Chinese into Montana. And it becomes big news because of a particular event. One whiskey trader had a way to make double money. He would bring whiskey up from Montana to southern Alberta in his wagons, and on the way back to Montana, he would smuggle Chinese men hidden in his wagon across the border. This was noticed one time when he had nine Chinese men hidden in the wagon. He was riding on the front, and he was hit by a bolt of lightning and killed. The Chinese were discovered, and the smuggling came to be public information. Things changed, though, down in Fort Benton, down in Montana. The relations between the European community, the white community, and the Chinese slowly changed. And discrimination and racism developed, as it did in many places. In fact, there was a lynching down in Montana. And over the night, all the Chinese in Montana left and headed back to Lethbridge. Life in Lethbridge was better than lynchings, etc., but not perfect. In 1907, a rather interesting event happened that isn't as well known as you might imagine. In Lethbridge history, we've only ever had one official riot. And I say official riot, and I know that seems weird, because to be an official riot, the mayor actually has to show up and read the Riot Act. If the mayor doesn't read the Riot Act, it's technically just a street brawl. So we've only ever had one, 1907, on the one day you might be most surprised, Christmas Day. The day of peace and joy and love we had a riot. There are varying accounts, 
But what we do know is a man named Harry Smith was drinking a lot of alcohol on Christmas Eve, went into a Chinese restaurant on 5th Street South in what was the Dallas Hotel, the Colbanks, got into a fight with the Chinese waiter. Another waiter brought over a cleaver and used the wooden part to hit Harry Smith and chase him out of the restaurant. Rumor got around town that Harry Smith had been killed. So the next day on Christmas, 500 people showed up outside that Chinese restaurant and the mob destroyed the restaurant. They were looking to destroy other Chinese businesses when Mayor Galbraith, the mounted police, and the city police all showed up. The mayor read the riot act, and according to the Lethbridge Herald, everybody simply went home. According to another report, an anonymous report, the police actually had to bring a wagon along and were throwing people into the wagon while they were arresting them, and they couldn't figure out why everybody fit. When they went around to the front, they realized people's friends were pulling them back out of the wagon. It was Lethbridge, after all. (laughs) This report says at the end of the riot, everybody cleaned up the Chinese restaurant, and they all went home. Regardless, we see a rising anti-Chinese feeling developing in southern Alberta at this time with other communities. 1907 is also when the Vancouver Chinatown riot occurs. You'll notice where that Chinese restaurant was located on 5th Street, on the main business district of Lethbridge. There were Chinese businesses on many of the prominent streets up until that time. And then things slowly change. The Mania Opera Society, we believe is 1908. I have never read legal documents as confusing as the one on the Mania. We believe it's 1908. It opens here one year or so after the riot. So they have enough interest in Lethbridge to not leave Lethbridge. They are going to build a business even within a year of the riot. But now they're no longer on the main business street. They are now off a block. And in fact, many Chinese businesses start building here. And in 1909-1910, the city of Lethbridge starts debating Chinese businesses. And they pass in 1910 a bylaw, bylaw 83, which is simply, if you read it word for word, a bylaw regarding laundries and where they should be located. But it quickly becomes clear that this is an anti-Chinese bylaw because they force virtually every laundry into this area except for the one owned by white people. That one was okay where it was. And because the Chinese laundries are forced into what's called the restricted area, Soon we start seeing most of the Chinese businesses here. And I say most because history is never as clean cut as that. There were still some in North Lethbridge and one even over in what's now London Road. I can never figure out why that one business is over there. But there's one over um, down on 5th Street and 6th Avenue sort of thing. And slowly the Chinese businesses build here. The Mainy, built in 1908, is brick. Most of those Chinese businesses were wood. If you are living in a community that can destroy your business, in a community that could create laws where you can't vote or anything, to have the faith to build a building out of brick says a lot. Now, some people say this building has no architectural merit. It was built cheaply, and it doesn't have the foundation that some of the other buildings have. I'm thinking, given the social and economic reality of that time, it's an incredible building to have put up in Lethbridge at all. Beside it is the Boantong. This building's 1919. Bylaw 83 was in effect from 1911 to 1916. 
When it ended in 1916, by that time Chinatown is pretty firmly created. And even though the Chinese can build in different parts, many still choose to have that sense of community. And the building goes up there right beside the meaning. In the early 1920s, the Leong family moved from Vancouver and set up what we now know as Bowantong. We have many reports in the 1930s of gambling in these buildings. And if you read a lot of reports, they are described as pastimes. Somehow the people just, you know, nothing else to do, they decide to go gambling. Oh, it was so much more than that. We know of at least 16 gambling places in Chinatown in the 1930s, and many members of the white community went down to gamble. The police knew about these. They knew what was going on, but they rarely raided them because they understood them for what they really were. They were the forerunners of the lottery system we have today. <laughs> it's brilliant. Because, because of the anti-immigration laws, most of the Chinese who came over were men. They were either single men who could not bring wives over, or married men who, because of the laws and the head tax, couldn't afford to bring their wives and family over. As they were aging, they had no family to take care of them. Much of the money from the gambling went into a relief system for these aging Chinese men. And it is a point of pride within the Chinese community that not a single Chinese person went on relief, went on welfare during the Great Depression. The community took care of its own, and gambling was one of the greatest ways they did that. There is another story, and this predates it's about the time the Boantong was built. In 1919, the Prince of Wales um, came to Lethbridge on an official tour, and according to the rumors and legends, we cannot verify this, according to the rumors and legends, they lost him. He was missing for a couple of hours, and they found him gambling in Chinatown. <laughs> he knew enough about Lethbridge to know where the fun was actually to be held. So we have here two buildings that are more than just buildings. These are the places of those stories. If these buildings are lost, in many ways those stories are lost. Think about how much poorer our entire community would be without knowing who we really were throughout all of our history. We can't just tell the stories that we think should be told. We have to tell all of the stories. Fabulous historic buildings are about making our community better. The buildings themselves are just part of that. And it's interesting because to finish up today, I don't want to actually finish up talking about historic buildings. I want to talk about a building that I already talked about, the atrium building. Now, in many ways, I am sick and tired of talking about the atrium. It's going down. Yay, I'm glad it's going down. But I do want to throw out this challenge to our community. Just as important as it is to save historic buildings, all of this, as I said, is about building a community. So I challenge our community to think and to suggest wonderful ways and wonderful things that we can do with that location. Here is a new location opening up in downtown. Developers and promoters and planners often dislike people like me who fight for historic buildings because then they say, you're going to save all of them. There's nothing new we can build. Well, now you have a chance. Wow us. Show us what you're going to put there. Build a building on that site that somebody like me is standing here fighting for 100 years from now. Help us make a community that has our historic buildings for character, but our new buildings that actually help us move into the 21st, 22nd century as well.
So I thank you very much for letting me talk about why I need more of your money. Thank <laughs> you.